Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. So good to uh, be with you this morning. Um, before I get into the message, we have uh, two more teams that I just wanted to honor that have just done um, some really great things here at Washington, and I appreciate all the teams have done amazing things, but um, the, especially working through COVID and, and all, all that goes with that is, is our youth ministry leaders. So our youth ministry leaders, if you're here, would you stand up so we can recognize you, please? And I know that there's many who aren't here as well. And then finally, our mission team. Our mission team has been steadfast and just serving in that way and helping us. So mission team, if you're here, could you stand up for us, please? All right. Um, we are in the midst of having conversation around our vision and how our vision is leading us and, and moving us forward. And we're preaching through that. And we're in our final piece of our vision statement, and I'm going to put it up on the screen and show it to you this morning. Um, This is what it is. Living in and expanding God's kingdom on earth is what it says. Um, One more. There we go. Living in and expanding God's kingdom on earth. Uh, This is a topic that uh, I'm really excited about. We're going to spend the entire summer looking at the kingdom of God. And exactly what that is. They, it has been said that uh, all pastors have one sermon that they give over and over again in many different ways. And, and it'd be interesting to hear. You can tell me what you think mine is uh, after the service. I'd love to, to hear what that is. Um, but uh, did you know that Jesus had one sermon he gave over and over in many different ways? He had one main focus. One main thing he said over and over and over and over again. And it was about the kingdom of God. That was his message. That was his main thing he wanted to say. That's the main thing he wanted to drive home to the people he came into contact with. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So turn with me um, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. And we're just going to look at a couple of verses uh, in Mark, and then we're going to look at a couple of verses in other places. But we're going to kind of start there in Mark. So this is what the Gospel of Mark says. Chapter 1, uh, we're going to start in verse 14, keeping in context that at this point, Jesus had um, begun his ministry officially. And he went and was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. He emerged from the, his baptism. He went into the desert and was tried and tempted um, by Satan for, for 40 days um, plus, um, not eating, fasting, seeking the Father, making that connection. But this launched his ministry. He emerged from the desert in that time, defeating Satan in that way. And, and this, these are literally the first words that he speaks to begin the, the inauguration of his ministry in this way, publicly, his public ministry up to this point. So this is what he says, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So these are Jesus' words. 
and he's proclaiming the good news. That's where he starts off, and he says, hey, this is the good news. This good news word um, in Greek is euangelion. It's where we get our word gospel from, okay? It's also where we get our word evangelical from, um, which is a movement the church has been in uh, that's steeped and driven the church for probably the last 70 years. Um, it's probably been the most dominant movement within the church, a very solid movement. Okay? That's where it comes from. We get our word evangelism from this as well, all wrapped into one. So all of that is the same meaning, gospel, evangelism, evangelical. It all stems from that same Greek word. But essentially, this is what Jesus is saying, is here's the gospel, which is fascinating in a sense. To really understand this, one of the things that we have to do, because we read so much of our own culture and our own understanding into this, is we have to get back to what, is, what did euangelion mean in the time that Jesus spoke it? That's a, that's a question we should ask ourselves. Because Jesus is living in a certain time period, and in that time period, the Roman Empire is dominant. It rules the world. Okay? And it, it is, uh, has, has, is ruling over the domain of the Holy Land as well. And so in that time period, Greek is the language of the Roman Empire. And so Greek is what Mark is writing in. Most likely, Jesus wasn't speaking in Greek. He was speaking in Hebrew and Aramaic. That was his language of, of his time. Um, but no doubt he probably he knew Greek growing up in a time period in which a dominant culture oversaw the, his country and his homeland. And so in that time period, here's what's important to understand. Euangelion, or, or we, again, the word gospel, was used for three main purposes according to the Roman Empire, who had created that word and used that word. Okay? So Jesus is actually borrowing a word that is, not, uh, that is foreign to him, essentially, and this is what it means. Number one, that a victory had been won in battle. So what would happen is, is the emperor would send his, his troops, the Roman Empire, to a different part of, of the world or a different part of the empire. They'd fight a war against somebody else. They'd win that war because Rome was very good at what they did. They're very dominant and they were very good at, at warring against other countries. They'd come back and they would send us a forerunner ahead. That forerunner would run from the battlefield or would ride a horse back to the empire, the homeland of the empire, and as he came into the streets, he would shout, gospel, gospel, gospel. And then he would stop and he'd make the proclamation and he'd say, a war has been won. The emperor has won another war. People of Rome, your empire has won another war on your behalf. We should celebrate. And so they would have a celebration. So that's the first thing. The second thing that was gospel to them was that a child of the emperor was born who would, be, who would reign as king. Not just any child, but the child that would be taking over for, for the emperor at that time. So that's the second thing that, that euangelion or gospel meant. And the third thing was that when you had a crowning or a coronation of a new emperor, that was gospel. So three things. A victory was won. An heir was born, or number two, or number three, there was a new emperor. And so the people were to celebrate, because change had come, right? So here's what's interesting. If you look at, at the gospel of Mark and how Mark starts his gospel, Mark 1.1, 1, 1, he says this, in the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Same word, euangelion. In the beginning, here's the gospel, people. This is the good news. 
that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now, for Mark to even write these words was blasphemy. We don't get that because we just read the, the scriptures that we have and the copy that we have, and we think, oh, that's a great thing. But no, no, for Mark to, say, to, to sit down and pen upon his reflection years later about the life of Jesus and say, here's the gospel, would have, would have been his life. If you were to use the word gospel for any other reason besides those three things, it would cost your life. And so even for the people that would read the scrolls that Mark would have written and read them out loud, they were in jeopardy of losing their life if they were within the Roman Empire. And I want, I want that to sink in for a moment, to think about. So think about it this way. Here's what Mark is saying. Mark is saying, people, gospel has arrived because a victory has been won. People, the gospel has arrived because a new son, an heir to the throne has been born. People, the gospel is here because we have a new emperor and his name is not Caesar. It's Jesus. It's powerful when we begin to put things in the context from which they came forward to realize the magnitude or the extent to which Mark is trying to communicate to his audience. Because Mark is writing this to a Greek audience. He's not writing this to Jews. He's writing this to Greeks. And in doing so, he's costing everything. But he already knows nothing else matters besides his relationship with the Lord. So we have to understand that this is this is taking place. These are the first words that Jesus says is the gospel is here. Pay attention, the gospel is here. And then he makes a statement, he says in verse 15, the time has come, he says. Now, periods in the scriptures are something that are common. Seasons, the text talks about seasons and, and time frames and eras, but, but time is something that the, the Jewish people were waiting on because God said there's time. There a time would come, a certain time would come above all other time. Now, theologians have wrestled with these sayings, and, and we have groups um, of people, some are called dispensation, dispensationalists, and they say there's time eras in which God shifts and moves. Another, another group of saying the same thing would be covenants that God has moved. Um, covenantal theologians would say that God moved in different ways with different covenants, and all those things are true, and, and those are pointing to similar time eras in which God moves in certain ways in relation to his people, but there was an era that everyone was waiting for, and that was for the Messiah to come, for the Christ figure to emerge. Because when the Christ came, when the Messiah came, the Jews knew that finally their sins would be forgiven. See, the temple system that was set up and the sacrificial system that went on twice a day, every day, for all of its existence, including the time where Jesus is speaking, it's still going on. That was a representation that God said to his people, I will at some point redeem all things and, and forgive you. But the sacrifice itself did not forgive the people. It was just a temporary stopgap in the meantime. Does that make sense? Okay. So we never look at, the Jews never looked at the sacrificial system as, oh, my sins are forgiven because we're sacrificing an animal. It was just a reminder that someday God would make things right. And it would make, be made right through the Messiah. So the Jews believed when that time had come, the Messiah would be emerged, the Christ would come. That's the Greek word for Messiah is Christ. And in that period of time, sins would be forgiven. But not only would sins be forgiven, but the Jews would get their country back. 
That's how they understood it. They thought, oh, when Messiah comes, man, we're running the Romans out of here. He's going to be like David, this warrior king, and he's going to come in and he's going to remove everything else and we're going to get our land back. We're going to get our promised land back the way that God told us we were going to get it back. This is the time that Jesus is speaking of when he says the time has come. The gospel is here. The time has come. And then, verse 14, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel or the good news of God. The time has come, he said. And then he says what? The kingdom of God has come near. So what does Jesus say the gospel is? That the kingdom of God has come. That's gospel to Jesus. That's the word he uses. Now most of us, if I said, what is the gospel? You'd say to me, well, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus. Or you'd say to me, it's, it's Jesus who died for our sins so that we could go to heaven and be made right with God. And those are good answers. But this is not what Jesus says the gospel is. It includes that. But he's speaking these words. He's saying the kingdom of God is here. And he hasn't died yet and he hasn't resurrected yet. And yet the kingdom is present. And among us. And we have to take that in. This is what Jesus is saying. That the euangelion or the gospel is God is present among you. And this is not the only time he says this. This is not exclusive to the Gospel of Mark. I want to show you a couple of the places. This is in Luke 8, 1. Luke talks about this as well. It says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So there it is again. The, Jesus proclaiming the gospel that the kingdom of God is here. Okay? John the Baptist talks about the kingdom of God in Matthew 3, 2. It says, he says, repent, and these are John's words, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew uses kingdom of heaven. Mark uses kingdom of God. They are the exact same thing. Matthew says kingdom of heaven out of reverence of not using the name of God, because that's how Jews, Jews view those things. But it's the exact same thing. Whenever you see kingdom of heaven in the scriptures, it means kingdom of, of God as well. Those are overlap. And Paul says it as well. The Apostle Paul, the very last words recorded in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 31. These, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. This is talking about Paul. And taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So we look at this kingdom of God. The question to ask ourselves is, what does Jesus mean, what, by the kingdom of God? When he uses that phrase, the kingdom of God. What does Jesus mean? In order to really understand this, and I'm going to throw a lot at you, so just buckle up. If you have questions, come talk to me. I'll give you, I'll, I'd love to talk to you about this. This is a huge topic we need to get as Christians, as followers of Jesus. If this is Jesus' main message, it should be ours as well. Right? Amen? All right. To understand the kingdom of God according to Jesus' perspective, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1. This is what Genesis chapter 1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That phrase right there, formless and empty, or formless and void, in Hebrew is tofu vavohu. It's one of my favorite Hebrew words. Because it sounds like you stick something in your mouth and you have to talk funny. But tofu vavohu of what we translate as formless and void 
In Hebrew, it's an even stronger meaning than that. In Hebrew, it's no meaning, no purpose, utter chaos. That's what tofu vavohu means, utter chaos. This is what was in the beginning that God works with in creation of how everything starts. God sees this, and the Spirit of God hovers over this chaos, it says, and the Christ presence is there. Because Colossians 1.16 tells us that Christ created everything. And everything flows through him. So we have this Trinity image in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 that's there around the chaos. And what does God do with this chaos? Then God speaks, it says, into the very chaos we see in Genesis chapter 1. And in that, out of that chaos, God makes order. God makes purpose. God brings peace. The Hebrews would translate that as shalom. We think of peace as the absence of war, but that is far from the understanding of the Hebrew mind of what peace is about. Shalom is far from the absence of war. Shalom is everything as God intended it to be. That's shalom. When when the scriptures speak of this word peace, that's what they mean. So peace and wholeness and harmony between all things, all living things, not just human beings, animals, plants, trees, all living things, harmony. Your body working as it should is shalom. Your relationships restored and whole, no more divorce, no more heartache, that's shalom. No more sickness in this world, that would be nice. Whatever you can think of that is wrong in this world, when God speaks and moves, it becomes heal and hold. That is shalom, placed back the way that God intended things to be. If you read the scriptures and you see that the paradigm, though, there's a, a flow from chaos to order back into chaos. Let me give you some examples. In the beginning, we have chaos. God speaks and creates, forms and fills and we have this seven-day paradigm of the creation story in which God rests on the seventh day. At the end of that, God looks at everything and says that it is good and looks at us as human beings and says that it is very good. And, we, and God brings shalom into the chaos. Well, it only takes three chapters before humanity blows it. And Adam and Eve make a poor choice and things descend back into chaos. So we have order, or we have disorder or chaos into order or shalom back into chaos. We move forward into the next paradigm because essentially what the scriptures are is this story happening over and over and over again if you step back and you see it on a bigger scale. So we have chaos. God brings the flood in Genesis chapter 6, uses Noah, cleanses the earth. That's what water does. That's why we have baptism. Start over again, but we see that chaos ensues again, and we get the Tower of Babel, and we see that chaos spurs back again. And all this goes back and forth until Jesus comes and hits the big reset button and brings God's shalom to this earth, not in full, but begins the process to enter into. Okay? Jews understood the chaos as the power of the evil one bringing into this world. That's how the Jewish mind sees it. Again, we can decide whatever we want to say, but if we want to understand what Jesus means 
in the scriptures, we need to take ourselves back to the origins of the text. It's so vital and so important. And God wants to show us those things. And God says, I will restore shalom to all things in his word. We see this in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. We see this in Revelation 21, 5. Behold, I make all things new. And over and over again, God speaks this to his people. Because it's the heart and the will of God for this to happen. But God makes all things right, which the evil one has destroyed. The Jews would call that the kingdom of God. So any place where God is making right the things that the evil one has twisted, they would say that's the kingdom of God. And wherever that happens, the kingdom of God is present. That's the definition. That's the true definition. The kingdom of God is where God is destroying the evil one and the chaos that he caused. And in its place, shalom is manifested. This is the understanding through which we need to read Jesus' words in Matthew 1, 14 and 15. And we see Jesus take on this job description in Luke 4 that mirrors Isaiah 61 where he says, I have come to give sight to the blind, to set the captives free, to make the lame walk, and to bring forgiveness of sins. See, when Jesus does that, he's bringing and ushering in the kingdom of God in this world. Because he's doing exactly that. He's taking what's broken and he's making it whole and fixing it. He's speaking into the chaos and bringing order into that space, meaning and purpose once again. That's what Jesus does. And if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, then God has spoken into the disorder of your life or the chaos and he's brought order and shalom. And then he makes a promise. He says, I will make you whole. In fact, he says, I want to make you in the wholeness and the likeness of my son Jesus, is what he says. And we read that in Ephesians 4. Until we all reach unity in the, in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the end game. That's God's desire in each and every one of us, that we would be made whole. That we would be living manifestations of the kingdom of God right here on earth. That in you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, a small piece of the kingdom of God resides. And God's desire is to do that with each and every person who's alive on this earth until his kingdom reigns in full. Jesus goes on and he says this in Mark 1.15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. So we have, we have an understanding of gospel. We have the understanding now of kingdom of God. And we're, again, we're going to spend the rest of the summer looking at the kingdom of God. And then he says this, this phrase, he tacks it on at the end. He says, it has come near, this kingdom that he speaks of. Now, what does that mean that it comes near? The Greek word is enikane. It's a perfect active indicative. We actually have no equivalent in English to perfect active indicative. Any English majors out there? Come on. All right. Perfect active indicative. That's a tough one to translate. Perfect active indicative means this. It's happening and it continues to happen. Anybody think of an English equivalent to that? It's happening right now and it continues to go on. That's what, that's what it's saying. What's that? You got an example for us, Ginny? That's not a good example, Ginny. Because that's not true, actually. This is something that's happening now and it will not have an end to it. Until God changes it. Anybody think of another example 
that would be fitting. We don't have that in English. We don't have that in a sense. We can, I can say I love you, right, with that meaning in, 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 in light of that, but we don't have the equivalent in English. So it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that concept. So when Jesus says it's, it's here, in order, it's present. The kingdom of God is present, but it's also coming. Because let me tell you this, if the kingdom of God had come in its fullness, every single person on the face of this earth would know it. Because every knee would bow and every tongue would confess when the kingdom is, is fully at hand. So when people ask me, is it the end time, I say, you'll know when it's the end time. You don't need to ask that question, you'll know. And everyone will know. And that's the design of how it's supposed to be. And so the kingdom of God fully at hand is what we're asking. What does it mean to be drawn near? Jesus, again, didn't speak Greek, most likely. And so we ask ourselves, what does ing ikane mean in Hebrew, in the language he would have spoken? Because come near to us means this. I'm coming near to RJ. I'm a little bit closer than I was before. And that's kind of how we understand it in English. So I'm drawing near, I'm coming near to RJ. Okay? And that's what we read. We're like, well, how, how close is near? As students of the text, that's the question we should ask ourselves. Well, what do you mean by that? How close are we talking, Jesus, when you're talking about this? Now, the, the Hebrew word for, for near, to draw near, is karva. Right? Let me tell you something about karva. It's a packed word. It's, it's a beautiful word. It's a powerful word. In, uh, it, for karva, in, in the Hebrew sense, drawing near, if you put a, a husband and a wife in a room together and they karva, they'd have a baby. Okay? That's, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of depth of meaning we're talking about. That's the kind of intimacy that we're meaning here. Okay? A deep, passionate, intimate relationship. That's what Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is for us. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, he's saying it's so intimately present. It's so close, like a loving husband and a wife would be, or a child and a parent, that you can reach out and touch it, that you can experience it. That that's what's going on here. That's how close it is. In the Hebrew mind, karva, it doesn't get any closer than karva for Hebrew. Okay? So we're not talking about I'm getting a little bit closer. We're talking about I am face to face with you. And there is not any potential possibility of us getting any closer than we already are. That's what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of God is near to us. But we don't live as though that's true as Christians. As followers of Jesus. That has to change our theology and understanding of not only gospel and the wholeness of the gospel, but also the idea of how close the kingdom is for us and how close God is for us. We need to shift the way that we think about that. And that's why Jesus says what he says next in verse 15. The time has come, he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So for Jesus, the first natural response for us is to repent and believe. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week. What is repentance? What is belief? Again, according to what Jesus means, not according to what we think it means. Because it means something, I'm, I'm guessing, radically different than most of us think when we think of the word repent. But this is the invitation for us. That Jesus has come and he says, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Here's the victory that's been won. Here's the son that's been born to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Here is the new ruler of this world. And it's not what you think, city of Rome. 
It's something else that will withstand the Roman Empire and conquer this world and have his way. It's Jesus Christ. This is the invitation. This is a conversation we're going to be having all summer long. And I'm excited to have it with you. See, the kingdom of God is here. And God says, I'm going to destroy the power of the evil one, the chaos that he brings. That's the promise that we're given. I'm going to bring shalom back to the earth and fix your broken relationships with me and the problems that you have. And all of this, all of this, the pinnacle happens at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So you cannot have the kingdom of God without that peace. It's missing. So Jesus begins to, to hail the kingdom of God even before the death and the resurrection because it was happening. But it culminated in a climax at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And because of that, all things are made possible and new for us as, hum- as humanity and human beings. But here's the challenging thing for us. And this is another thing that we have to reorient our theology and our understanding of. He says, I'm, this is what's happening. And I'm moving everything forward, but this is how it's going to be. I'm going to use you to do it. That's the plan. He said, I'm going to create this thing. It's going to be called the church. It's going to be the chosen people, the called out ones who are in relationship with me. And they're going to gather together. And they're going to move everything from here to where Jesus left off to where Jesus comes back. That's called the church age. And in that period of time... The church is the the one that is solely responsible for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So it's on us. You're welcome. But God says this. I want to partner with you. But I will provide the power. I will provide the authority. I will provide the direction. I'll give you every single thing that you need. All I want is your hands, your feet, and your lips. And we're going to do it together. And for too long, the church has said, or had some of the church, not all of it, has had a mentality that we are to sit back, hunker down, and hope it doesn't get worse, and pray that Jesus comes quicker. And I can't help but think that Jesus is saying, no, 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 I want the world to be at a certain spot before I come back. Not a worse condition, but a better one than I left it. And I'm waiting for the church to get its act together. And as soon as the church gets its act together and does what it's supposed to do, then I will be received in glory and honor because they will pave the way for me. And so we need to switch our, our mentality, our way of thinking. Because God wants to use each and every one of you here to advance his kingdom. That's the plan. So we need to get over how we see ourselves and think about ourselves and our worthlessness that, that we've been put upon us for too long and realize who we are, what we're called to, and what God is asking of us. This is the invitation for us, Washington Church, and the church as, as a whole. It's not just on us, thank the Lord, but we're a crucial piece. And we can have as big of a piece of the pie as we want to take on. That's the invitation. There's no limit to the amount of who can transform the world. Eleven men transformed the world into what it is today. And women. That's it. We're far, we far outnumbered them. What can we do? We're going to go into just a time of prayer this morning. I'm going to invite us into a time of reflection, a time of prayer. Bridget's going to come up and play. 
And we're just going to reflect on the kingdom and our part in this kingdom and our invitation that Jesus invites us into to a deeper understanding of what this gospel means. So I invite you just to take time with the Lord right now. Close your eyes. I'm going to bring forth two things that we're going to pray about. And just on your own, just with the Lord, just go to him with prayer. Just come before the Father. Just spend time in that space. Just, let's just quiet ourselves just for a moment before we begin. There's two prayers I'm going to invite us into. They're simple prayers, but they're, the answer that the Lord gives you might rock your world. And that's a good thing. That's what we want. So before, before we get into these two prayers, I just want to lead us into a time. I want to invite you to just speak this out loud before the Lord. Father, forgive me for not living in and understanding your kingdom. For not recognizing just how close it truly is. thank you for your son, Jesus, and how he ushered in this kingdom, how he made it possible through his death and his resurrection. The first thing I want to invite you to talk to about the Lord in prayer is this, just on your own. Lord, give me eyes to see your kingdom. So just pray that on your own for a moment. things in your life that you need to let go of because they're getting in the way of your ability to see God's kingdom in your life and the world around you. Just receive those things. Recognize those things. Surrender yourself to those things. Hand them over to God. Lay them down at his feet. Show me how to partner with you in advancing your kingdom. So just come before the Lord and make that request. We're asking God to speak to us this morning. We believe that God wants to speak to us. 
however God begins to show you or reveal to you, write it down. Make mention of it. Make note of it in some way. God might show you something that you don't understand this morning, and that's okay. Hang on to it. Because he's revealing something new that he wants to do in your life. I want to trust that. Because in order to do new things and advance this kingdom, new things will need to take place and happen. Our understanding of, of who God is will have to expand and grow beyond our previous understanding of God. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to you except through him. For that, we are grateful. We're grateful that we have a relationship with you, Lord. And if there's anyone in this space this morning who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus right now. Simply pray, Father, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. For I have sinned and I need a Savior. I want the new life that you bring. I want you to come into the chaos of my life bring order and purpose and meaning. So I give my life to you right now. Father, as we journey together as a community of faith over this summer, and we talk about what Jesus talked about, about your kingdom, I pray that you would open the eyes of every single person in this room and they begin to see it in new ways that they've never seen it before that your presence would fall on people and manifest in ways it's never done before. And people would come alive, healing would begin to take place, Lord, because that's what happens in your kingdom. That's what takes place when the kingdom of God breaks through to the kingdom of earth. I pray that you would use Washington Church in this community, even in simple and small ways to advance your kingdom. So it would be greater than it was before. And we begin to infiltrate Toledo and Perrysburg and Maumee and Sylvania and the surrounding areas in Michigan. And your kingdom would expand out from here and people would know it because of our faithfulness, because of Jesus in us, because of the Christ presence that's with us. Father, we are grateful for your love for your grace, for your mercy that's brought us to this place, and we ask for even more. We ask these things in your name, Jesus, the name above all names, our Lord and our Savior. We pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.